Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 1 this morning. And it's the prophecy that Habakkuk, now I'm having trouble, Habakkuk, the prophet received. Habakkuk's complaint. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralysed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that the justice is perverted. The Lord's answer. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honour. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than lions at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They are all, they all come con- intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. Habakkuk's second complaint. Lord, you are not you Lord, you are not from everlasting. You are sorry. Lord, you are are you not from everlasting? Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those righteous more righteous than themselves. You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet and he so and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet for by this net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food is he to keep on emptying his net destroying nations without mercy cuck one that was really good and it is a funny name to pronounce. Um, 
but we both decided to do it the same way, so <laughs> we're okay. Uh, so Max and I were watching a movie last night, and I thought to myself, wow, that actually kind of ties in a little bit with what I'm going to talk, to, talk about today. Um, so we were watching a movie. Uh, some of you may have seen it. I'm not going to say the title straight away. We'll see if you can figure out what it is. Um, it's about a little boy who is sick in bed, uh, and his grandpa comes and visits him. Um, and he, I've got a nod up the back. We have a winner. <laughs> um, uh, you've put me off track now. Uh, his grandpa comes and visits him, and he brings him a present. Um, and this kid is really excited until he rips off the paper, and it's a book. Yes, I think a few of you have already cottoned on to what it is. It's the Princess Bride. Um, so... This kid, he opens this present, he's really disappointed that it's a book. I mean, everyone knows books are terrible, right? I disagree, but, you know, it's beside the point. His grandfather says, no, no, come on, you're going to love it. It's really, really good. My dad read it to me. I'm going to read it to you. It's so good. And the kid is really sceptical. He's like, oh, I don't know, Grandpa. I don't know about this. And the grandpa says, no, come on, it's got sword fights and, and a pirate and a princess and an adventure. It's so good. And... and the kid just kind of goes, yeah, fine, you can read me the story, I guess. And so he starts reading the story, and there's, like, there's a romantic scene, straight up, first thing that happens, and, and this kid is, he's almost out by this point. He's like, Grandpa, is this a kissing book? We don't, we don't need this. This is gross. Um, but the grandfather persuades him, and, and he reads him this amazing story, and it is every bit as epic and as adventurous as promised. And the kid does interrupt a couple more times, uh, but by the end of the book, he's hooked, and he doesn't even mind that there's a romantic kissing scene at the end of the book. Um, and I think sometimes that's a little bit like how we interact with God. You know, God, are you sure? Are you, are you sure you're going to do that? Because this doesn't seem like a great thing. And God goes, no, come on, it's going to be really good, don't worry. And, and we go, oh, I don't know, God, I don't really like where this is going. And, and God goes, no, it's okay, it's going to be really good. I've, I've got this, don't worry. Sometimes we have to be persuaded by God, don't we? Sometimes we all have doubts and questions, and we're a little unsure about what on earth God might be doing right now. Um, and I think that that's kind of a a pretty good summary of the whole book of Habakkuk. And we are going to talk about the whole book. Um, I only had Rhonda read chapter one, but it's a very short book. It's only three chapters, and they're all fairly short. Um, so yeah, it might be a little bit strange, having spent an entire year going through the book of Mark to do a whole book in 25 minutes or thereabouts. Uh, but that's what we're going to do today. Um, so a few years ago... Um, I was introduced to the book of Habakkuk. Now, I had read, I'd read through it before. Um, I had, you know, I'd done all my Bible reading plan in a year, and obviously you read the whole Bible in a year, so I definitely read it. But it wasn't one that I'd really spent a lot of time interacting with. I probably couldn't have flicked open my Bible straight away and showed you where it was, but I was pretty sure it was um, kind of towards the end of the Old Testament, um, I won't ask if anyone else is in that same boat. Don't worry, we've all been there. All of those names at the Old Testament can get a little confusing. Uh, but a friend sent me a link to some verses from Habakkuk. Um, they're from the end of the book, and we are actually going to read them a bit later. Um, but that sent me down this journey of what is this about? 
who is this guy and what is, what is this whole book about? And it turns out that when it's a really short book, you can actually get through the whole thing pretty quickly. And I learned a lot. Um, and it turns out that when you are experiencing those questions and, and confusion about what God might be doing, this is the perfect book for you. Um, but I think given that it's not a very well-known book, we're going to have to start uh, with a big picture. So we're going to do some historical context, which is really important to the content of the book. Um, and then we're going to do a little summary of the book itself, and then we'll kind of dive into the content a bit. So Habakkuk, as you may have guessed from that very first verse, where it says the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received, he was indeed a prophet. Um, and he lived in Judah during the time of the kings. Now, often when we think about the kings, we think of Saul and David and Solomon, the three big ones. But after Solomon, there was a whole bunch of other kings, and that is why we have the books of one and two kings. They kind of talk about all of these different kings. Um, right after Solomon, uh, the kingdom of Israel actually split in half. And if you imagine it as kind of a long, narrow um, kind of piece of land, the top kind of two-thirds stays as Israel, and the bottom bit splits off and becomes the kingdom of Judah. And both of these kingdoms had a whole series of kings. Um, we'll start with Israel. So, Israel is not in a great spot at this time. They have had a bad king, and then another bad king, and then a worse king, and then an even worse king. And they just keep having these really evil kings who come to power, and they do a bunch of horrible stuff, and then they die, and then the next guy comes, and he's even worse somehow. Um, they've strayed further and further away from God. Um, and at the time of Habakkuk, they've actually even been invaded. Uh, they were invaded by the empire of Assyria. And the Assyrians had a particular method when they invaded um, a, a new place. They would not pick up all the people and drag them back to their capital city and deal with them there. No. They would just move in. And they would marry locals and kind of force them to adopt Assyrian customs uh, and basically erase the existence of whatever country they've invaded. So at this point, from an Assyrian perspective at least, Israel doesn't exist, it's just a part of Assyria, and they've married all of these Israelites and they've had kids and, and they've dragged them further and further away from God. Things aren't looking great for Israel. But we've said Habakkuk lives in Judah, so what's happening in Judah? Well, they've also had some bad kings. They've also had some really good kings. Not many, but a, a few. Uh, and they've had a few average ones. They've still kind of strayed away from what God wanted for his people. Uh, they're not really in a great space with God. And they're also kind of stuck politically because they're this tiny little country. And where they previously had Israel as a nice buffer between them and the Assyrian Empire, now Israel is the Assyrian Empire. And they all know they're probably next. They're a very small country, they don't have a lot of defences. Things look pretty grim for these people. And amidst all of this chaos and confusion, all of this evil and departure from God's ways, there lives this guy, Habakkuk, and he sees the way that the world is and he isn't happy with it. And so he does probably what many of us will do in that situation as well. He takes his concerns to God. Um, and I've got a video that shows us a short summary of what happens next, so we're going to watch that.
What do you do when God feels distant? When you wonder if God's even listening or if your prayers are just hitting the ceiling? I'll tell you what you do. You read the book of Habakkuk. The Israelites had functionally disobeyed all of the covenant, and by 600 BC, half of the country was in exile. The other half would be within 20 years. So Habakkuk prays, how long will I cry for help and you won't hear? Surprisingly, God answers, and he says, I'm doing something that you wouldn't even believe if I told you. God says, I'm using the Chaldeans. Habakkuk is like, wait, um, what? The worst people ever? Can you even do that in your holiness? And he gets no reply. So then Habakkuk takes a walk and stands alone on a watchtower in the breeze. It's a bit like overly emo, but mostly he's just waiting to hear back from God. Then he gets his answer. God says this, write this down, Habakkuk. If it seems slow to happen, just wait for it. God's like, yup, the Chaldeans, they're my puppets, and I'm gonna teach you jokers a lesson about obedience and the Torah and doing what Moses said. God then gives them five woes full of clear instruction. Then Habakkuk prays this awesome prayer, including this ending. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He brings my feet up on the high places. Sounds like the Psalms, and he meant it that way because the end of the book is an instruction to use this prayer in worship at the synagogue. And that's the whole book right there. Habakkuk is worried that God doesn't hear him. Then he's angry with God for using an evil people group to accomplish his plans. Each time God answers him and then Habakkuk prays. The message of Habakkuk is faith. Faith when you can't see what's in front of you. Can you imagine reading all of the promises in the Torah and seeing none of them? Your cousins are in exile thousands of miles away. There's no Messiah yet. The people ruined everything that Moses said would happen in Deuteronomy and you're living in a thick failure. In those moments, God desires faith like the faith of Habakkuk. George Herbert said in 1633 in a poem called Faith, Faith makes me anything, or all that I believe is in the sacred story. And where sin places me in Adam's fall, faith sets me higher in his glory. We're stuck here in the Minor Prophets, in all the judgments. God's righteously giving out to these people to Assyria, to Babylon, to Nineveh, to many other nations, and his own nation. But if we keep waiting by faith, we'll get to the promised son, he who publishes peace, the seed from the stump of David, heaven's son and earth's savior, Jesus Christ. God created, man fell, Jesus promised. My microphone fell. Jesus fulfilled, Jesus followed, Jesus returning, and the Bible is God's word. All right. Uh, I'm going to boldly proclaim, that's very bright, I'm going to boldly proclaim that he's using the American pronunciation and uh, the Australian pronunciation is indeed Habakkuk. <laughs> might be wrong, but we're all going to be wrong together. Uh, you can see from that why I might turn to the book of Habakkuk when I've got some questions, right? And honestly, I could probably leave it at that, but three minutes feels a little short for a sermon, so I'm going to keep going. Um, so this book of Habakkuk is basically just a conversation between him and God. Uh, he has a complaint, God answers, Habakkuk has another complaint. There's a bit of a break where we don't know if God's going to answer, but then he does, he answers again, and then Habakkuk prays an amazing prayer of praise at the end, which we are going to get to. Um, now, I think Habakkuk has some really reasonable requests, or questions, sorry, for God, doesn't he? Why do you tolerate all of the injustice and wrongdoing in the world. Why aren't you working to fix these things? And why aren't you listening to me when I ask you to fix these things? And I don't know about you, um, 
but I've asked God a lot of those questions over the years, and I suspect I might not be alone in that. I think questions about what is God doing and why is there suffering are probably among the most asked questions by believers and non-believers alike. If you believe in this God, why is there all of this wrong stuff happening in the world? Um, I think these are questions we really wrestle with, and we wrestle with them at a lot of different levels. We wrestle with them on a really big picture level. You know, why is there racism and hunger and injustice in the world? Uh, Why are corrupt people allowed to gain positions of leadership? Um, But we also ask them on a very personal and intimate level. You know, we ask about, why did I have to lose my job? Or, why are things not going well for me right now? Why is my body not working the way it should? Or, or why did this person that I love have to die? And they're really tough questions. And they're questions that I don't have answers to. Um, and I think we all find ourselves in moments like that in our lives where we question what on earth God could be doing in this moment. And as I said before, like many believers would, Habakkuk is so frustrated by what he sees going on in the world that he just cries out to God about it. And I think that that's a wonderful example of what we should do with those questions as well. Uh, Because I might ask any of you those questions, but you probably have as many answers to them as I do, which is not many. Um, And while we might all think to take those questions to God, we might not all get this beautiful, clear, well-thought-out answer from God the way that Habakkuk did. Um, But the good news is I think that there's something in God's answer to Habakkuk that we can interpret for ourselves as well. You know, when Habakkuk gets this first answer from God, he doesn't really like it. Remember earlier when I said that Israel had been invaded by the Assyrians and Judah was really vulnerable? Uh, Well, as the video hinted, there's actually one group of people who are even worse than the Assyrians, uh, a name which struck fear into the heart of many people at this time, and that is the Babylonians, or as the video referred to them, the Chaldeans, um, which is a term we use because there were two Babylonian empires, and we're talking about the second one, Um, but I probably will say Babylonians, so just so you know, they're the same thing. Um, So these people, and God describes them actually, he says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They don't sound very nice. And uh, I think maybe none of us are surprised when Habakkuk is shocked and dismayed by what God is saying. Uh, And I think that's reflected in um, the words of his second complaint from verse 12 uh, to the end of chapter 1, where he says to God, hey, aren't you holy? And if you are really holy, then how can you possibly tolerate the wickedness of the Babylonians, let alone use them for your purposes? All of this just seems really wrong, and Habakkuk is not going to stand for it. And again, I think we can probably relate to that bit. Um, I was thinking about how might I contextualize this uh, for something that we might all be able to relate to, or maybe many many of us can relate to. Um, And I was reminded of um, 
a time a few years ago now where I was really busy. Like, I was crazy busy. I just had stuff on all the time. I was studying, I was working, um, I was volunteering for like a million things that I probably should have said no to. Uh, I was just super busy and I, I, I prayed to God. I said, God, I'm so busy. It feels like everyone I know is so busy. Uh, it's starting to feel like all of these things that I love to do are actually a burden. And God, I just pray that you would help me to, to create some space. Help me to step away from some of these things, Lord. Um, that was 2019. And we all know what happened in 2020. And let me tell you, I was not very busy in 2020. <laughs> I don't know about any of you, but when I finished work, I just kind of sat at home. Maybe I went for a walk. That was pretty much it. Um, and while I don't want to suggest at all that the pandemic was a good thing, um, I think during the pandemic, I think I prayed prayers similar to what Habakkuk was saying. God, how can, how can this be part of your plan? What are you doing? All these people are dying. Um, and I suspect, again, I'm probably not the only person who prayed those prayers. Uh, but since that kind of initial phase of the pandemic has ended and we're no longer desperately watching the news hoping that case numbers will go down and we're no longer stuck at home all the time and we're no longer keeping everyone at arm's length because we're afraid to get too close to people because we might get sick or get them sick, I think we can look back at that and start to see that some positive things have come out of that really horrific situation. And for me, one of those positive things is that I'm really not that crazy level of busy anymore. And I've also developed some skills around saying no to things and, and creating boundaries so that I don't get that busy again. And so while I might say, hey God, what are you doing? With hindsight, I can see one of the things that God might have been doing at the time. Now there are many others and I don't pretend that this is universally true, but for me, this was a positive thing that came out of a really horrific situation. And the good news is that God doesn't leave Habakkuk with those questions. And in God's second answer, which we see in chapter two, uh, which wasn't read out today, but I'd encourage you to go home and read it. And if you do that, you will have read or heard the entire book of Habakkuk today. Um, what we see in that is that when God does answer Habakkuk again, we can see in his reply a little of what he might say to us when we have similar questions. Now, obviously, it's not identical because we are not facing imminent invasion by Babylon and we are not horrified by God using these terrible people who are going to kill us all for his purposes. Uh, but there are similarities and there are patterns that I think we'll be able to see. And I love the way the guy in the video said this, uh, so I'm just going to repeat his words. When God replies, he said, write this down, Habakkuk. If it seems slow to happen, just wait for it. Which is a very frustrating answer sometimes, isn't it? But um, that's what we're told to do. And then he proceeds to explain to Habakkuk exactly what he's going to do. And it turns out he's not actually endorsing the Babylonians He's not encouraging them. He's simply using the things that they're already doing and turning them for his glory. Uh, because as God says, all nations are accountable to his justice. 
I think there's something in that for us as well, isn't there? I'm not sending a pandemic. I'm not endorsing a pandemic. I'm not encouraging a pandemic. I'm using something that's already happening on earth and I'm turning it towards my glory. And take out the word pandemic and insert whatever situation you choose in its place. Things seem really dismal for Habakkuk. He's read the scripture. He's a faithful guy. And he knows that what God requires of his people isn't being met. Because he's read the law and he's got eyes, so he's looking around and he's going, this isn't happening. He's also read the promises of God in scripture and he knows that many years ago, God promised to send a Messiah. But at this point in time, at Habakkuk's point in time, we haven't seen any sign of him yet. So that's not great. So we've got no Messiah. We've got the people who are drifting further and further and further and further away from God. We've got the northern kingdom of Israel already been taken over and assimilated by the Assyrian Empire. And God has just promised that Judah is also going to be invaded by the Babylonians. Um, what do you do? That's pretty hopeless. But we see in verse 4 of chapter 2 that what God required of Habakkuk is faith. Faith that he is working, even when Habakkuk can't see it. Faith that the Messiah will still come at the appropriate time, one day, Faith that God is using all of these tough situations to bring about something that Habakkuk can't even imagine. And you know, if we look about it in the grand scheme of things, we don't have a lot of historical information about Habakkuk, but we do know that he didn't live to see Jesus born because that happened about 500 years after this time. He most likely didn't live to see the Israelites return to Judah out of the exile in Babylon because, again, it happened so, so much later than this prophecy that it's very unlikely he would have lived that long. We actually don't even know for certain whether he lived long enough to see the, the Babylonians invade the kingdom of Judah, although it sounds like maybe he might have from the text. But I think that's kind of the point, isn't it? Because this isn't actually about Habakkuk. It's not about him and his, his difficulties and all of the different things that he had to survive. It's about the part that he played in God's big plan for the world. A plan that he didn't get to know all of. A plan that he didn't even get to see completed. How frustrating must that have been? But he got to be a part of it. And so when I look at Habakkuk and I look at all the difficulties that he had with understanding all of this stuff, I think I understand a bit of that. And I think maybe you might too, because we all have these questions, we all look at all this wrong in the world and we say, God, what are you doing? Just fix it, we know you can. And when I look at my life and all the different things I've had to go through and the things I've seen and been a part of, you know, the reality is I actually have no idea why my life has been what it's been, why I've had certain experiences, why I've seen certain things. We don't get to know that information, do we? It might be nice if we did sometimes, although it might be a little scary. But we don't know these things, and that's okay, even if it's frustrating 
because it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about any of us. It's about God's big plan for the world and the part that he wants us to play in it. And just like Habakkuk, that's a plan that we probably aren't going to get to know all of it and we might not even live to get it to get to see it completed but we do get to be a part of it and like Habakkuk what God requires of us in those moments and what he's always required of all of his people in moments like this is faith faith that God is working towards his big and good plan for the world even when we don't see it faith that all the hard and scary and sad things that we have to go through in this life are being used by God to work out that plan, even when we feel like there's no good or no hope in those situations. Faith that God's plan is so much better than any of ours. You know, 500 plus years after Habakkuk had this conversation with God, a baby was born who grew up and died and rose again. 2,000 years after Habakkuk has this conversation with God, we get to read in the Bible about how the time of the kings, the good kings and the bad kings, um, the time of exile in Babylon, and everything that came out of those times has contributed to God's plan, a plan that's still being worked out today. We can have faith in God because we can see how his plan has worked out over so many years. We may not know where God is going, but we do know where he's been. And we can see that he has always worked for good. So what God requires of us is faith. And the good news for us is that here in the 21st century, we don't have to just blindly believe. We get to have an evidence-based faith because we can look at what God has done time and time again, and we can trust that he will act for good again now and into the future. So as we pray and as we experience moments of great confidence in God and moments of doubt and frustration, my prayer is that we will remember these two things. Number one, it's not about us. It's about God's good, big plan for the world. And number two, we can have faith because we have evidence that God is good. Um, I'm going to finish, not with my own words, but with the words of Habakkuk in chapter 3. Um, this is a really great prayer. Um, and I think it's a really helpful reminder of the God that we follow. Um, and I'd encourage you, if you have a moment during the week, to read through the whole book. It's only a short one, but it's a really powerful one, and it's, it's a really helpful one to remember in times like this, I think. So, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. 
I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by and the deep roared and, it, and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath, you strode through the earth and in anger, you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Lord God, thank you uh, for the example of Habakkuk and for... Um, the things that you said to him uh, and the things that we can learn from that. Lord, I ask uh, that for all of us as we go through times when we have questions and doubts, Lord, I ask that you would help us to just increase our faith and to take those things to you and to know that you are good. I lift up all of this to you in your name. Amen.